A few months ago, we began a series of studies examining the glory of God. And as our foundation verse, the start of that study, we read from Psalm 19. Psalm 19.1 The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth forth his handiwork. And how we can see about us and the beauty that we observe. And as we analyze and examine our own physical lives and the intricateness of our beings, we see God. And we have a glimpse of His majesty and of His glory. And we can grasp as we observe creation in our lives, the deity of God. The fact that He is the divine God. The transcendent God. The God who is above all of His creation. The one who spoke it into existence, proving His omnipotence and power. And He controls it all and holds it in His hand. The only true and living God. The unique, one-of-a-kind, only God. Not the God at the top of a pyramid of gods, but the only God, the only true and living God. And he has revealed himself to us in his creation that we can see and in our own lives that we observe as well. And that glory he brought down to the creation that he spoke into existence. And we've examined how God came down and how he resided in the Garden of Eden with his creation. Specifically Adam and Eve, the first man and woman. And he came down and he fellowshiped with them. He spoke with them. He walked with them. And they enjoyed fellowship with him. And he manifest to them his glory, his presence, his grace, his mercy. He showed it to them. They saw it. They experienced it. They lived it. Yes, they reveled in it. Imagine life without sin. Imagine life without guilt. Imagine life without the impairments that sin brings to our bodies. The weaknesses, the illness, the frailties. Imagine life with just God and all of his perfection. It goes beyond our ability to imagine. Sadly, Adam and Eve chose to sin and reject that God and rebel against Him and chose to yield to the temptations of the creature rather than yielding to the commands of the Creator. Yet God continued to display His grace and mercy. For He promised them a Savior. He told them that the seed of the woman would come and would crush that serpent. And we saw how God, over many years, manifest himself to individuals. He displayed himself to Enoch, for example. And we saw in Genesis how Enoch walked with God and knew God intimately. And then we read about Noah, how he walked with God and knew him. And God spared him and his family in the devastation of the judgment brought by the flood upon the earth. Because of the wickedness of man. But in all of those instances, it was only individuals. 
God manifested himself, but it was just to individuals. And then came the call of Abram. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees, present-day Iraq, and called him out of a land of idolatry, and called him to himself and said, Come and follow me, and I will take you to a land that I will give to you, and to your children, your offspring, your heritage. God began to deal with a nation. And through that nation, he said he would bless all nations of the earth. All of the earth, all of the nations of the earth will be blessed through you, he promised Abraham. And he sealed it with an oath. By his own word, he said, I promise, by my own word, I will bless all peoples through you and through your seed. Out of Abraham came many people. They went down into Egypt for a while because of famine. They lived there and unfortunately they endured many years of slavery and servitude and oppression under the Pharaoh of Egypt. But God had not forgot his promise that he made to Abraham, that he made to Adam and Eve in the garden. And he called those people out from Egypt. And our last time together we looked at that exodus of how God brought them out and he initiated it all with Passover, the celebration of Passover that would forever commemorate in the lives of the children of Israel that day when God brought them out and redeemed them from the wicked land and oppression of Egypt. We come to another event in the progress of this exodus from Egypt to the promised land. And we come to a very special time in the experience of, of, Egypt, of Israel as they travel from Egypt to the promised land. We come to a time when they're hungry. You might expect that, leaving a land and only being able to carry a certain amount of, of food and clothing and goods. They run out of food. They needed something to eat. And they came to Moses and they murmured to Moses and they said, we need food to eat. We're hungry. And we find this description recorded for us in Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, the second book of the Bible. I'll read just a few verses that describe for us this occasion of when they came to Moses and murmured and cried out for food. Here's what we read. And they took their journey from Elam, and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. I don't expect you to remember, but remember that Passover was to be on the fourteenth day of the first month. So this is about a month. About approximately a month's journey out of Exodus, out of Egypt, on their pilgrimage towards the promised land. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would that we had died by the hand of Jehovah in the land of Egypt. 
when we sat by the flesh pots, they had a very short memory, didn't they? They didn't enjoy great bounty in the land of Egypt. They suffered horribly at the hand of Pharaoh. They're suffering from a gross imagination. When we sat by the flesh pots and we did eat bread to the full, for you have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. How soon we forget the mighty hand of God and his provision in our lives, don't we? Then said Jehovah unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or not. And it shall come to pass on the sixth day that they shall prepare that which they bring in, and it shall be twice as much as they gather daily. And Moses and Aaron said unto all the children of Israel, At even then ye shall know that God hath brought you out from the land of Egypt, and in the morning then ye shall see the glory of Jehovah. For that he heareth your murmurings against Jehovah, and what are we that ye murmur against us? And Moses said, This shall be, when Jehovah shall give you in the evening flesh to eat, and in the morning bread to the full. For that Jehovah heareth your murmurings, which ye murmur against him, and what are we? Your murmurings are not against us, but against Jehovah. And Moses said unto Aaron, Say unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, Come near before Jehovah, for he hath heard your murmurings. And it came to pass, as Aaron spake unto the whole congregation of the children of Israel, that they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of Jehovah appeared in a cloud. And Jehovah spake unto Moses, saying, I have heard the murmurings of the children of Israel, and speak unto them, saying, At even you shall eat flesh, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and ye shall know that I am Jehovah your God. They had cried to Moses for food. We want food. We're hungry. You brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We don't have any food. God heard their complaint, and he reassured Moses and Aaron, they have not complained against you, although they came to you. In reality, they're complaining against me, he said, because I brought them out. I promised I would care for them. In their complaint, they complain against me, God told them. Well, he heard their cry. And he promised to them food. And the food in particular that I want us to see is manna. God told them, in the morning you will find manna on the ground. Gather it up. Gather just enough for one day. And the next day you'll go out in the morning and You'll find manna there again in the morning. Collect enough for that day. On the sixth day, gather enough for two days. Because on the Sabbath day, I will not provide manna. That is a day of rest for you. A Sabbath for you to worship me. 
the children of Israel went out eagerly that first morning and they found the, the manna just as God had said. And many of them didn't believe God's word and so they gathered up more than they needed for that day. They said, we better gather a whole bunch of this just in case he doesn't provide for us tomorrow. Every bit of it that they had left at the end of that first day, in the morning when they went to look at their leftovers, it had rotted and they couldn't eat it. They didn't believe and trust God. They went out then again and gathered new manna for that day. God provided for them bread. They called it manna because that didn't look like anything they had ever seen. It was white, kind of like a seed, and when they ate it, it tasted like honey. Kind of unusual, nothing that they had ever eaten. And God told them that he provided for them the food of angels. Manna. And God provided that manna for them six days every week. Throughout their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And how long did that journey take? Forty years. Every day for six days of every week. And on the sixth day providing enough food for the seventh day. For forty years God provided for them bread. We all love bread, don't we? It comes in a multitude of varieties nowadays. We don't just have one that's white. My wife loves white bread. I like the hearty breads with all the nuts and seeds and husks and everything inside of them. I love the whole grain. But we have tremendous variety of bread. But bread comprises a vital part of our Diets, doesn't it? We probably eat bread in some form every day. Some of us perhaps eat more of it than others, but we eat bread. It provides us a substantial form of nutrition for us. Rightly did someone call it the staff of life. Because it is almost like a superfood. You could probably live on bread for an awfully long time. Just bread. God made provision for them of bread. Manna. That they could collect every day. And incorporate it in their diet and in their foods. Their nutrition for every day. God provided for their physical needs. A bread. A food that would provide for them physical sustenance and strength, vitality and vigor of physical life. This provision of God, of manna, for the children of Israel, became a part of a question that the scribes and Pharisees and the crowds brought to Jesus. As a complaint against him. 
I want you to see it. Because it gives to us a beautiful picture of Jesus. The living bread. The living manna, if you will. That came down from heaven and provides for us spiritual life. Just as manna provided physical life for the children of Israel. We find it recorded in the Gospel of John. Chapter 6. Prior to this setting, Jesus had just performed a tremendous miracle. Out in the hillsides of Capernaum, he had fed 5,000 men. Now that doesn't mean that there were just men there. That's how they counted in that day. We presume that that audience also included women and children. We don't know that number. But thousands of people, they had gathered together and had no food. And the disciples came to Jesus and said, what what should we do? We should send them all away so that they can go and find food and, and get food in the city to eat. And Jesus said to them, well, why don't you feed them? And they said, oh, Master, all we have is five loaves of bread and two small fishes. That's not enough for everyone here. And Jesus said, bring it to me. They brought him that small lunch. And it says that he blessed it. And then he began to break it. And his disciples began to distribute it to the people. And by the time of the end of the meal, everyone had eaten to the full and there remained 12 baskets of bread left over. A tremendous miracle that Jesus did. At the end of the day, he sent his disciples across the lake and said, you go across the lake. And he separated himself from his disciples and from the crowd. Because the crowd, seeing the tremendous miracle of all of the bread that he had provided for them, wanted to make him king. By force. This must be the king. This must be the Messiah that the Old Testament prophets predicted would come. We must make him the king. Jesus had no part in that kind of a kingdom. And he separated himself and went up into a mountain and prayed. And his disciples went across the lake. In the middle of the night, the Lord Jesus, as he prayed on the mountain, looked out and he saw his disciples struggling in the storm. And it says he walked out on the water to them. And he calmed the storm and they got to the other side. Well, the crowd, seeing the disciples had gone over, they decided to meet the disciples on the other side. And that crowd went around the lake to the other side And lo and behold, when they got there, they saw Jesus there. They had seen him go up on the mountain, and the disciples start across the lake. And they said, Master, how did you get here? You didn't leave with the disciples. Jesus didn't answer that question. He said to them, the reason you have come is because you got your belly full yesterday. And you want more food. 
I want us to read for a moment here the response that Jesus gave to them on that occasion. For it brings to us the reminder of God providing manna in the wilderness for the children of Israel. Here's what we read in John chapter 6, starting in verse number 25. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when camest thou hither? Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, you seek me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Work not for the food which perisheth, but for the food which abideth unto eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him the Father, even God, hath sealed. They said to him, What must we do that we may work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What then doest thou for a sign that we may see and believe? These are the same people that he had just fed the previous day in the thousands of people with five loaves and two fishes. And they said, Show us a sign that we might believe you. Do you catch that? How unbelieving they were? They said, Verily, verily, our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus therefore said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, it was not Moses that gave you the bread out of heaven. That's what they thought. Down through the years they had promulgated the belief that Moses had provided that manna. Jesus said, no, it wasn't Moses who gave you the manna. It was God who gave you the manna out of heaven. But my Father giveth you the true bread of heaven. For the bread of God is that which cometh down out of heaven and giveth life unto the world. They said therefore unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall not hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye have seen me, and yet believe not. They hadn't believed, had they? All that which the Father giveth me shall come unto me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the will of him that sent me, that of all those which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone that beholdeth the Son, and believeth on him, should have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. In response to the Lord Jesus and his challenge to them, to believe upon him, the crowd responded and said, Why should we believe you? Show us some miracle, some sign that would then form the basis and foundation for our faith in you. Because 
Moses provided manna in the wilderness. Can you top that? Can you do that? No, they didn't exactly say that. But that thought underlies their comment. And underlies their condemnation and criticism of of the Lord Jesus. And first of all, Jesus corrected them. When everyone came to Jesus with a fallacy and error, he always corrected them. That's, that's not true. Moses did not give you that man in the wilderness. My father gave you that man in the wilderness. And furthermore, just as he provided that physical bread to provide sustenance and health for your physical well-being, he has also sent the bread of life so that you might have spiritual life. Our spiritual nature comprises the most significant component of our lives. We tend to concentrate upon our physical aspects. But in reality, the spiritualness of our lives comprises the greatest component of our lives. And Jesus was telling those people, you need spiritual bread to feed your spiritual lives. I am that bread. I am that food that has come down from heaven from the Father to provide for you that spiritual nourishment that you need to provide vitality and life and vigor for that spiritual aspect of your lives. He said, don't labor after that which is just for the physical part of life. Labor after that which is spiritual, that which is the most vital part of your being. I provide that life. And Jesus said, whoever comes to me and whoever believes me and eats of me the bread of life shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus made it very clear to them Not only that they needed a spiritual food for their spiritual lives, but that the Father had sent him to provide it and to be that spiritual food. Like manna in the wilderness, God sent his Son, the living bread, the bread of life, to provide spiritual food for the spiritual life within all of us. We all exhibit signs of spiritual hunger. You can't go anywhere in the world but what you find a society has a God. Why? And you would be tempted to say, well, there are some people I know, and I don't know maybe very much about them, but I know there are some who don't believe in any God at all. That's their God. Everyone has 
a God, a belief system that they follow and which determines and governs how they live. And they conform their lives to the truths which they believe that formulates and forms their God. So the question comes not, do you have a God or do you believe in God, but which God do you serve? The only true and living God or one of your own design? Because in exhibiting a desire for a God, you prove and manifest your spiritual hunger. You manifest your spiritual hunger in, a, in, a, in another fashion by wanting to maximize yourself. If you watch much television, you will encounter and observe many commercials advertising a book or a series of tapes or a seminar or CDs, or DVDs, if you will just buy these, they will make you a better person. You will become the real you that you were meant to be. And you will actualize your self-potential. Any of those phrases sound familiar to you? Yeah, I've seen them, and you have too. A manifestation of spiritual hunger that we want to maximize our potential. And then there's the day-to-day struggle with sin. We all face it, don't we? Oftentimes we call it failures. We call it mistakes. We have all kinds of euphemistic phrases to describe sin but we all struggle against it we want to be better people we want to live more upright lives we want to be moral in our behavior and our actions and our way of life and we try we really do try only to realize we can't do it and we fail and we fail and we fail Jesus came to provide food to satisfy our spiritual hunger. When we come to Christ and we trust in Him, we find the true and the living God. We know Him. We come to meet Him personally. And He takes up His very residence and presence in our lives. By coming to Christ and by trusting in Him, we begin to understand what it means to fulfill all that God designed us to fulfill. And His power enables us to accomplish it. Yes, God has designed us for a purpose. And through faith in Christ and His work in our lives by the Holy Spirit, we begin to experience that purpose and to fulfill that design that He has for us. And by coming to Christ and trusting Him and believing Him, we find victory and relief over that great enemy, sin. And we begin to walk in victory. And we begin to experience victory over those things that once conquered us 
and defeated us. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me and believeth on me shall never hunger or thirst. He that cometh to me and believeth on me shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. So how do we appropriate that spiritual food? How do we make a part of our lives that bread of heaven that Jesus claimed he came to provide for us? Jesus told us in these verses that we just read. At first he said, come to me. Come to me. Now what does that mean to us? That means if we come to Christ, we leave everything else. We set aside our own self-righteousness. We set aside our own plans and designs. We set aside the God that we've designed for ourselves. We set aside those things which we have believed all our lives that don't include God. And we come to Christ. Jesus put it in one word. He said, repent. Turn from what you currently practice... Turn from what you presently believe. Come to me. Come to me. And then he told them, Believe. Trust me. Call upon me. For he that believeth on me shall have eternal life. That life that he exhibited, that he demonstrated, that he lived will become part of our lives. He will come and live and dwell within us. We trust Him for who He is and who He said He was. The Son of God. The Savior of sinners. The substitute who died on behalf of people like you and me because we can't fulfill God's law. Trust Jesus. Believe on Him. And you will inherit eternal life. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you have come to Christ. Maybe you have trusted Him. Not your own works. Not your own good efforts. Not your own grand thoughts or designs. But you've trusted Jesus. The one who died on behalf of people like you and me and you have trusted Him, then you know and have experienced in some measure what it means to feast on the bread of life. He has brought to you spiritual nourishment. He has encouraged you. He has strengthened you. He has edified you. And you can recall times in your life When you knew that He gave you spiritual strength. But maybe you've never come to Christ. Maybe you've thought of Him merely as a good man. A good example. A good teacher who taught many good things that we should follow. But you've never really come to Him In the reality and the totality of who he said he was. The Son of God. 
the Savior of sinners like you and like me. Come to Him today. He made that offer to those crowds of people on that day. But He said, there are those of you here who don't believe me. But to everyone who does believe, I will give to them eternal life. I don't know the condition of your heart and your mind towards the Lord Jesus. I don't. I have no way of knowing. But have you ever come to Christ? Have you ever trusted Him? If you have not, then listen to the call of Christ that He made to those crowds on that day. He said, Come to Me. Everyone who comes to Me, I will in no wise cast out. I will accept every one of you who come. Everyone who believes, I will accept and will give to them eternal life. I pray that the Spirit of God will open your eyes to see Jesus, the bread of life, the one who came to provide for us spiritual nourishment. If you have trusted in Him, feed on Him. If you have yet to trust in Christ, then this morning, trust Him. Come to Him and take of the life that He offers to you. Let's close in prayer.